spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I haven't dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Andien from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable to me to keep the running costs this podcast going and enjoy take care bye-bye Spoken hi guys and the end spoken label back in the house we're on zoom again today i was debating at one point recently when doing this podcast to me was this lady in person but it's a little bit earlier we've still been locked down as a recording but I have met this lady in person before. We did a podcast, Helen, didn't we, at Manchester Central Library? And you said nearly three years ago. Three years ago. (laughs) Unbelievable how time flies. Yeah, I've got got Helen came in. I was wondering, obviously. Now, do you remember that time we met Helen? We met at Central Library. It was really busy in that library, wasn't it, in the cafe? Yeah. And it was like... Yeah, very different to today, isn't it, where we're isolated... (laughs) Very, very weird. And it's been like, I think really we've been locked down now 15 months, haven't we? As of mm. recording and hopefully coming out of it shortly now. But how have you been over lockdown, Helen? Have you been okay then? Have you all just, your creativity has just been plodding along really? Yeah, no, it's been fine. I've been very lucky really because I can work um, with my, do I do support work with students with dyslexia. So I've been able to carry that on in Zoom and I'm, uh, Quite happy to stay at home and avoid people. So um, I've been very, very lucky, really. Um, and all my family, we've been managed to carry on working throughout and not had anything so far, touch wood. Good, good, yeah. I know it's been my case, as I said to you off mic, I've been at home for most of the past 15 months and doing the podcast at Spock Label on Zoom. And it's been some way, it's an interesting experience actually using Zoom. So how have you found it over Zoom then? I'm presuming you've used it, haven't you, over the past 15 months? I've used it extensively, Skype and Zoom and other uh, links. And I think it's been really good for students because if you're dyslexic, sometimes you can't always get out of bed and get to a place, whereas uh, in the comfort of your own home, it's easy to be flexible and things like that. And also in the poetry world, I think I've loved the fact that I've listened to things all over the country whereas before you'd only ever attend things that were local events so I've been everywhere from Scotland to Cornwall you know meeting new poets so I think it's been great and I hope it carries on because it also allows people with disabilities access to 
uh, events that they didn't have before. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. Completely agree. I've I've gone to lots of pod, um, obviously programs you could argue online, and I've seen poets from all kinds of other countries, and I've I've got a lot from it really, to be honest, because to listen to different people's experiences really that we wouldn't have perhaps necessarily got previously. So I know what you mean there. I mean, there's nothing to beat to be a live performance, but it's not always possible. And uh, obviously, you know, we're all wanting to go out and read again and, and enjoy that live contact. But there's a, I hope that the Zoom carries on simultaneously with it. I think it will. I think it will. You're going to find a lot of this because I know quite a few nights that are going to do both. And certainly the night I run, we're looking at trying to do both. So we'll yeah. not be able to get away and see the way we lay the land is really, I suppose, isn't it? So, yeah. but anyway, we're here to talk about you really today. We've we digressed completely before we even got going here. So now, obviously, for people who don't know you, Helen, do you want to tell people very very briefly about your background as a creative person? So I know you've been you've been active for quite a while, haven't you? In one way or another. Yeah, I mean, I, I started writing about ten years ago. I got my first pamphlet was all about chickens in two thousand and sixteen. And then I've just carried on, um, you know, sending work out, attending events and writing. Um, I went and did an MA at MMU, uh, which is why we met before, because I was doing an exhibition of artists and poets connected with dyslexia. And, you know, I've carried on uh, in a way, like a poetry activist, as, as well as writing poetry most days or reading it most days, really. So I eventually got all the poems um, from the Dyslexia Project and I put them together into a pamphlet. And that yeah. was launched last year in, in July, in the middle of the lockdown. It was a, a lockdown baby. Um, so... That was a really significant thing for me to achieve that. Some of the some of the poems had appeared in the exhibition that we talked about in the podcast three years ago, and others were added. So it was a mixture. Yeah, now just to clarify two people, obviously, we're talking about, we tell people the title of the collection, first of all, haven't we? So now the, the collection is called This Lexia and Other Languages. Now, if people will look at the way Helen's done that, Think about because I'm dyspractic and Helen's dyslexic. So, like with you saying dyslexia, it's an I got it straight with an intentional pun on the pun on dyslexia immediately. Now, before we go into the collection some depth, what made you want to call it this like this the dyslexia bit that way you did it dyslexia? And I said I know that I know they got right then. <laughs> oh, it's actually a really good story about this. I was um, working for a short time in primary schools when the Ed Balls, you know, gave slots of 10 lessons for children in primary schools. So I went into the school and one of the pupils there kept, bounced up to me one day and said, Mrs. K, Mrs. K, what is this Lexia thing? And I thought it was so clever and so interesting that she, that's how she perceived it, this Lexia thing. And it stuck with me. And so, yeah, no, it had to be called that. Oh, okay, so, and I think it's fantastic. I, think, I actually think it's a really, really clever title, like with that one. But you were telling me off mic before as well that it just took you a long time to write this collect this little collection as well, hasn't it? You said, and these are one yeah. of the poems is over ten years old, isn't it? 
That's right. The one one of the poems. It's about. It was the very first poem about texting, and it was written. I wrote it ten years ago, and. At that time, I knew nothing about the poetry world, and I saw online there was a competition called the Trowland District Writers in Nottingham. And it was like a local writers group, and I sent it off, and uh, it won a prize. It won the Vanessa Alhambra Trophy for the most original poem. (laughs) You know those old old kind of writers groups that, um, you know. Fantastic, yeah, yeah. A small writer group where they all judged it, you know, they didn't have an external judge and you got a little comment like it was a test or something. And uh, so that was like my first kind of success in the poetry world. And it was lovely. And obviously the, the poem has evolved a lot since then. I, I, I you know, I've changed it and I finally put it into sort of text language because I, that's one of the many languages, the other languages that people with dyslexia use sometimes or or feel comfortable with so it has evolved but um yeah it's over 10 years old in its evolution now there's a lot i could talk about this collection obviously i said we may be dyslexic myself but tell us about golf's here people will see the collection i said i recommend this buying immediately now what made you want to split this into three sections as personal effects symptoms and other languages yeah i mean you don't have a plan when you start out do you it just kind of evolves so the first section i found myself writing quite a lot of poems particularly about my eldest son because he had quite a lot of trouble in his experience of being dyslexic you know at school um, and later on, you know, he had a, a horrible teacher who made him cry and all those sort of things. I, re- so, I remember you telling me about that last time we spoke, actually. I thought yeah. that one, so yeah. So uh, uh, just out just uh, naturally, I just started writing a series of poems about his experiences, about really me as a mother as well, watching that process of him going through school. So that was experiences, and it seemed to fall where there were different stages, like one at reception, one at primary, secondary. He didn't go to university, but then I've met students who do. So it felt like I wanted to do these moments in the first section of those experiences. And then in the second section, I began to explore the whole area, because I'm a dyslexia tutor, of all the different types of things that we relate to dyslexia so for some people it's their memory uh, that's the most the hardest thing for some people it's they're, they're kind of more dyspraxic than dyslexic for some people um it's mental health that really impacts you know it really does i wanted to bring out that point that living with a, a learning difficulty like this often causes stress and some significant mental health issues and so that kind of made its own section, really, of like all these different symptoms, if you like, aspects of dyslexia. And then I wanted to, I thought, this, I don't want this to be totally depressing that people read it and think it's all just horrible gloom and doom, because I began to think about the way people with dyslexia amazing are amazing people. And that sounds a bit glib, but they, they find different ways of, expressing themselves different languages if you like and so 
the third section was a celebration, I think, of all the different ways of communicating. Some of them, again, like my son, you know, he plays all these trade card games, Yu-Gi-Oh cards and things like that, and they're really complicated and there's a lot of words actually involved in them and it amazes me how uh, young lads in particular build up their, their communication through this. Other things like silence or people doing sport, there's a poem about table tennis, there's a poem about uh, referring to the swimmer, Duncan Goodhue, you know, it's as if everybody finds their different ways of their own language because the language, the, the language of reading and writing is, is, is difficult. You develop skills in other areas, really. So it, I wanted to end it with this celebration of all those things. Yeah, yeah. I think it makes, makes perfect sense doing what you say, saying what you've done there. I agree with you completely with it, because I think it's doing what you've done there, it stops the book from, like I said, becoming just almost impossible to read because of the heaviness of it. Mm-hmm. You talk about, I mean, you've done it like it's given that, and there definitely is a light touch in that one straight away with it. So, yeah, now I want to ask you a couple of things about one to the general pond, if you don't mind on it. Yeah, yeah. Because, because I know I've heard you, I think I've heard you read this one before. You might have read one of these out at our session last time or about dad learns Latin at the village school. I think you might have done that one last time, but that one, not well, didn't your dad have some sort of dyslexia as well? Didn't he? In trouble? This is actually about my partner. Oh, was he partner? That was it, man. Yeah. I've tried to remember three years yeah. ago. I mean, this I is really interesting because it is a, well, you know, it's, it's a true story disguised. And I felt I had to ask him his permission to write this because it's a very personal poem. Um, but he, because he's sort of late 50s in the time when people didn't pick it up. And he had a terrible, terrible experience at a local country school, c- compounded by the fact that you know, he was his father was a farm labourer, and then there was the posh kids. You know, so that made it worse. But you know, really damaging, humiliating experiences um, of not diagnosed of undiagnosed dyslexia and, and quite, I mean, severe dyslexia, which um, a life life altering really. So that's that poem is that was really really emotional for me to. To write, and it is a true story because the headmaster was a, an unpleasant person, and he did get um, sacked in the end. He got pulled, and it made the uh, news of the world wow. headline: wow. teacher sacked. And we've got a copy of it still. We keep from nineteen sixty, whatever. Um, wow, this that, that, that would have been head, that would have been rare back then to get sacked like that. Yeah, that completely not getting on. It makes sense in your story there straight away with it. So now, a couple of ones I was like, I know obviously you talked about your son already. And what made you want to do a, do a poem with the title of Dyslexic Son Goes Nil by Mouth? Because Nil by Mouth <laughs> is, is, is frankly a shocking image. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just the idea that sometimes when you feel um, when you're a teenager, you, you don't speak, do you? You stop speaking. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I get you Can completely. You 
Um, it's about that. It's about when you go, and in a way, that's not speaking is a kind of language, isn't it? Because I just thought sometimes we're saying, oh, you know, you should speak more. But actually, sometimes you see all these people who are taught rubbish all the time, and you think, oh, that's a really good idea. Let's not let's not speak. Let's use silence as a language, you know, and that sort of thing. It was so that was what that was about, really. It was, you know, there's so much, so much rubbish talked on television, isn't there, by people who can talk the talk, but that's about it, really. Yeah, no, I agree completely with it. So. I said, uh, I'm not going to go into a lot more details on this because there's a lot of stories on this where I think it's best if people just explore the collection themselves. But obviously, since then, I know you've you've now moved on to a website as well, haven't you? Dyslexic Poetry. Do you want to tell us about that yeah, next? So I'd, I'd love to, actually. I really would, because when I did the exhibition, and it was really successful. I got a lot of people who were very interested in it and I toured it round and I wanted to put in an Arts Council bid and I did all the work for it for um, poets to go into schools and raise awareness and then of course Covid came along and I thought there's not a lot of point in putting a bid in but to go into schools at the moment so I had to put that all on hold but I wanted the project to carry on so instead I found a dyslexic graphic artist web designer to make a website and I thought we can still keep putting stuff on websites and news and putting things out there. I also did an article for a kind of um, dyslexia teachers magazine about it and I got quite a few uh, really nice responses about people working with adults and Liverpool City College approached me and said we'd like to do a, comp a poetry competition um, for all our students who are dyslexic and we did we ran the competition and we had a winner and a small prize and so that went on to the website and we're, um, we're hoping with Liverpool City College to do a, an exhibition next summer too so it, the, the idea of the website is to showcase individual poets and, and artists but also to document uh, activities that are going on under the dyslexia creative uh, umbrella really so it's in its early stages at the moment but um, I'm hoping that you know as, as we come out of lockdown that more artists and more people will contribute and get involved. Yeah I know you've been having quite you've been having a poem in a month yeah. going on it haven't you so far and you've had some great poets in there because Number of which I know, people I know, you've had Mayor, lovely Mel Ward Mel Wood End on it, and yeah. I don't know Nancy Kate, don't you? But I do know, um, I do definitely do know, and I've lost her name now. Oh, um, oh, my friend Sam, what's her surname? Oh no, man's just gonna kill me. Sam Rapp, that was it. Sam Rapp, I forgot her surname that's, a second then. That's right, the dyslexic yeah. poet. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think the Nancy K was really interesting because I put that on a dyslexia support group. So this is somebody who has no real connections with the poetry world, but she was dead thrilled and excited that something which she does is like rhyming stuff with children with dyslexia. And um, I thought that was really important, not just to showcase known poets but to other people who are making a contribution to you know getting children to be creative so and yeah, yeah. really yeah. she she has a 
uh, a kind of publishing uh, thing called Dreamwell. So she does dyslexia, a partner's dyslexic, and she does dyslexia-friendly books, which are amazing. And, you know, I think that's a fantastic thing that, that she's yeah. doing there. Hopefully I'm beating actually Mel fairly soon because you're coming down to my night speak easy. Her and yeah. John are coming all the way up from Warwickshire, if memory's correct. And I, they're going to travel all the way down there, especially for that. And that means a lot to me if we get someone travelling that distance like that. Because she's a total force of incredible energy. She has, so. Yeah, absolutely. What she, She's kept right through the lockdown, which was really difficult to keep poetry going. She's done workshops. She's done... Um, events she's run she did a really good project with a book uh with pictures and photographs and uh, poems last year during the lockdown so yeah it's, it's a real honor to have mel on the uh, the website yeah, no understandable understandable of it so i know obviously i'm doing it soon but people will find out when they go on there yes. they'll see my humble offerings on there some point along the line you well, are the so. two like poets it'll be yeah i shall, uh, okay, I shall uh, let you know as soon as it's on yeah and that'll be up that'll be up for this podcast goes live but go and check it out once because mine my feature my point for helen here was basically it came off an article my brother sent me actually helen he did my brother's no brother's not dyslexic, but he's colorblind like me. And he found this article on BBC and he said to me, You might want to write a poem using elements of this. And he did. And I did. <laughs> That's why. So yeah, really good. Now you've got you've got another project in the go, Helen. Will you tell me, was it Nigella did you tell me about before? <laughs> well, for those of you who don't know, uh, who are perhaps not on my Facebook, anybody on my Facebook will know that I have a hen puppet called Nigella and it started when I wrote a book about I wrote some poems about chickens and I wanted to jazz it up a bit so I used this hen puppet really to like for the children's sake you know with a bit of visual eye candy and uh, I didn't realize at the time that she was more popular than I was (laughs) so everywhere I've gone Certainly oh. locally, people are not interested in me, they're interested in Nigella. So it, it sort of got where I started writing poems. Nigella had to write poems as well. So she wrote poems uh, and she did a little collection called It's All About Me, Nigella, which just about sums up her <laughs> character, her persona. Brilliant. So when during the lockdown, I was um, isolated with my auntie, who's 99, four months and it all happened very suddenly as, as we all did you know we locked down and we all ran to a place to lock down and while I was there I um occupied myself every day Nigella we we, I, we, she, we took I took a photograph of Nigella with a caption and it, it was a lot of it was um like advice during Covid like um you know, clean your doorknobs or don't let your <laughs> don't let your people drink the whiskey, drink it yourself and this sort of thing. And then it got like I, I sort of got really carried away and I started using cardboard boxes and I made her a car and I made her a tent and I made a schoolroom for her. It was like being a child again. It was real blue Peter stuff. And she really caught the imagination because people wanted something happy at that time. And um, so I used to get like like 100, 150 likes every day, the regulars and people 
making comments and joining in the fun sort of thing. So at the end of it, I didn't want to lose, we did over a hundred pictures. And I didn't want to lose that. So we made a book. Um, you, you, you people, you, listeners can't see, but it was the book and it was all the photographs of Nigella doing all her things and the caption. And we um, raised money for Cheshire Without Abuse in crew. And um, I ran up where we did a run of 50 books and they were sold within 24 hours. Wow. Yet again, wow. My really? family didn't sell that quick. Nigella has to be the one. Everybody who was a, a regular just um, did it. And it was just a lot of fun and a really nice memory of what the lockdown was all about. You know, a lot of it was humour and... We also got my aunt who was at 99 involved because we had VE day and she did like, she got out her ration books and she showed Nigella. Oh, brilliant. So it was, it was quite um, a fun, it was a fun thing to do really, because I, I don't know about you, Andy, but I didn't really feel in the mood of writing poetry, certainly during the first stages of the lockdown. No, not really. Not really. I did lots. I did everything but write poetry. I was creative in different ways. and Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. You want to do something, but I didn't think I could engage. I tried to write a few poems, you know, about COVID and that, but um, nothing really significant in all that time. But the, the Nigella thing was just a lot of fun. Um, so that was, yeah, that was my other project. She is now taking a bit of a back seat because... Uh, I don't know about you, but I've started writing quite a lot again now. So, you know, I'm getting back into writing stuff. And, uh, I've been, I've just tried to, I've just tried, tried to take a break from a book I've been working on for a couple of years at the minute. And I've started to write a load of poems and basically I directly on summer or spring, summer, because I've got a friend that's a really good photographer and I've been writing some poems based on some of his work with permission. So, so I've done three of them and I want to do others. So, yeah, I know what you mean. Sometimes it's nice to take new, take new projects on, take a break from longer ones. Yeah, no, and, and I think anyway, as a poet, you can't write all the time for you know, 10, 20, 30 years of your life. You know, you have to diversify a little bit and bring in some new, new materials, really. And I think the Nigella Project did that for me. It made me think in a different way. So, and of course, can't blame you there. Can't blame you there. Now, to conclude, Helen, on the first part, is there anything you've got planned for the future coming up creative-wise you can talk about? Um, well, there's something I can't talk about, but I, I, I have got a, a sort of a project um, completely different. I, I wrote, I've written a lot of poems about a guy, a dead poet, a Victorian dead poet called John Barlas, and he was a friend of Oscar Wilde's. And what interested me is that they he had significant mental health issues, and they put him away in an what they called an asylum in those days for twenty four years. Mm. Um, and so that he caught my imagination, and I've been trying to write what it must have been like to to be put in this place. This man was a genius and yet, you know, he was put in this environment. And by chance, it's a place in Glasgow called Gartnaval, which is falling down. And I 
would love to, again, as you mentioned about photography, I'd love to work with a photographer to take some pictures of this building which is falling down, this beautiful old building, uh, and to put that with the poems. So that's a, once lockdown's well and truly over and we're all safe to move, I, that's what I, my next project is going to be about. Brilliant. No, no, excellent. Brilliant. Good luck. Good, excellent. Good luck with it. Keep us informed. Now, if people want to find out more about you, Helen, just to conclude then, obviously they can find your website at dyslexiapoetry.co.uk. Have, have you got your own website as well, have you? Your own personal website? No, I, I'm a, a, a big Facebooker. So and if anybody wants to, I, I befriend me on Facebook. Um, because I, I, you know, I'm very public about that. I also Twitter at Helen K one six six. So I don't actually have a website, but I do enjoy social. I'm a bit of a social media convert. <laughs> Best way um, to be. Best way to. I, 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 do I don't personally well. need to actually be honest, have have a web. Honestly, have a website nowadays anyway. So. That's why. So I think sometimes having enough Facebook and stuff and been so active and having enough sometimes anyway. So straight away. So brilliant. Okay. That covers all the questions. So what we're going to do, Helen, we'll take a quick break and let you get some your poems ready for us from your new collection. Thank you. Yeah. See you on the spot. Hi, guys. Still here with Helen now. Slight change of plan today. Um, Helen forgot to tell me about something in the first part, which... It's a typical dyslexia, dyspraxic trait, unfortunately. So I know I know what I'm like with that. But Helen, you were telling me before, weren't you, about film poetry you've been doing? So yeah, um, you to elaborate. I I would. Uh, one of my passions in life, as well as poetry, is watching films. I've always loved watching films, and I uh, watched even even more films during the lockdown, as you do. And I oh, yeah. started writing. It started off with. Where I, when I watch a film, I often, I don't listen to the story or the dialogue so much as I, what I remember in films, I can never remember actors, but what I remember is individual images. The, it's the images that I'm a visual person. So I remember these images and they really stick with me. So I started writing poems about individual images in films, like a bit like a ekphrastic poem, but about a film image. So it's as, as you always do, you start with one and then another one happens and another one happens. So I think that's another sort of pamphlet in the making will be poems responding to individual images in films and also perhaps even looking at film poetry, although it's, 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 it fascinates me, but I'm not so good at the, the tech, tech side of it. The interaction of film and poetry is great. We said before on it, this is since off mic, this is an interesting point for people to look at. I'm always a believer when you, you learn how to master one field as a creative person, and you're in this time with your film poetry, you find the more, when you learn one thing, you can often then, not say master a second one, but you can pick something up, I think, quicker than you can in the first one, first style or skill mm -hmm. sometimes. And like I said, we're both from talking dyslexia, dyspraxia. You know it's more than I do, but I'm sure I've read a stat somewhere saying a lot of the most clever people in the world have some sort of dyslexia or dyspraxia. 
Yeah, no, no it's it, it, I've, they've done a lot of research around this. That on average, it doesn't mean that every single dyslexic person is is Einstein or Leonardo da Vinci, but on average, dyslexic people are far more creative and far more thinkers than non-create non-dyslexic people. So it's as if somehow that kind of if one avenue shut, you 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 work harder at another avenue. So you develop some amazing talents and skills in another area. So yeah, yeah, definitely. no, you're absolutely right. That's right. Does it give good. you a greater understanding of um, just people and other people's difficulties? Doesn't it? Yeah, no, completely agree with you. Completely agree. Some like I said, it's it's where people bearing this in mind normally. Like, don't do you ever get registered as something? It doesn't is the end of the world. It basically yeah. means it's, you're just going to look at things in a completely different way. So and that's why. So do you envisage wanting to do more of these over time, Helen, then, do you reckon, do more of these film poetries, as you call them? I think so. I think I'm going to do a lot more film poems. Um, whether whether I do it the other way around and make poetry films, um, yeah, no, I, it, it's certainly an area that interests me. It's like some people like to put their poetry to music or to art or something like that. But for me, I think it is film is the medium that I'm drawn to. So, no, good luck. Have you good ever done any, Andy? Oh, not films. I've done. I put music onto poetry before now. Yeah, I've done it fairly yeah. recently as well. Films, no, I haven't done films. Probably because I, I get fed up when I'm trying to film to stick a camera in the direction. I'll probably have to get a cameraman to do it for me and a film director saying, "No, Andrew, do it this way. Do it that." No, yeah, not yeah. yet, <laughs> not yet, so, so, anyway, Helen, okay, we better digress or diversize into your poems now, I don't we, so, now, I know you're going to do four today, and just to let people know, I presume all four are coming from your new, new collection, aren't they? Yeah, I'm going to do four from this lecture and other languages, sort of across from the, be the beginning to the end, so the first one I'm going to do is in the experiences section, and, um, was actually based on a person that I did meet many years ago. So it's one of the hardest things when, when is particularly as an adult, is actually going to that assessment. You know, young people they grow up with being dyslexic, but it's so traumatic for an adult. You know, suddenly to realise that your whole life this has been the difficulty, and uh, so this is about uh, an adult learning that he's dyslexic. It's called The Day Joe Found Out. He nearly didn't go to the assessment. She kept shuffling paper, sucking her specs. He didn't hide the 20 years in jail. More you run, more footprints follow you. She said his IQ was extremely high. He told her all about his tarot cards, how he promised a girl with a blue moon smile that she would quit Oldham and catch the sun. How the girl said he should turn professional. Dyslexic. It was dealt him like a card that held his fate, spelt out the reasons for 20 years of class A hate. So that's a bit of a, a hard hit. Some of the poems are a bit hard hitting. It was that, a very hard hitting experience, you know, to that's this powerful. incredibly intelligent person spending 
significant amount of time in prison because of being misunderstood. Um, so the next poem is a little bit more upbeat. One of the symptoms, one of the things that people have difficulty with is short-term memory. Um, not, not being able to remember things. It's a major issue. In fact, the most common issue for adults with dyslexia is short-term memory. So this is called short-term memory loss. It starts with an empty, tight-lipped jug or a, a foggy eviction from my narrative. Familiar names are clinging to my tongue. I lose my spectacles and wash my purse. A slush of turnips blackens in the pan. Others fear dementia. I was born misplacing. Midstairs, purpose waves goodbye. I float. Quiz time. I parrot an answer, claim it's mine. At night, I lie awake to rescue hunches. It started with a P. Was it a K? Next day fills with Mrs. Malaprop, what's it, pen drives, brillig crib sheets. Only the key things cross the neural pathway. The days that leaked, the saltiness of now, the dregs of pain, the scent of being loved. So that's great about, ending there. Great ending that last one. You know, it's about other things in life, isn't it? That the, the more important things than, you know, facts, really. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> They're of course. totally overrated, these facts, aren't they? You can look them up on Google anyway. <laughs> Brilliant. So the, the, the next one is um, I've never ever read this. You know, so I don't know if you find if, when you're reading things, you tend to go for the few that people say, "Oh, that's nice," and you think, "Oh, they like that one. I'll do that one." So, this is one that I've never read before, out loud, and it's about students who write essays and that panic, that general all over panic when there's a deadline, and you've got to write an essay. We've, everybody's been there, haven't they? And it's oh. yeah. <laughs> So I imagine it as um, a bit like playing that game, you know, what time is it, Mr. Wolf, dinner time? You know, it's like you're waiting, you're trembling, waiting for the, the deadline to come. And it's called The Student's Essay Blues. What time is it, Mr. Wolf? The time between know it and say it splits open. I sleep beneath a sheet of crumpled plans. The clock's claw-sharp hands slit a fleeting hour by the throat. One o'clock. A mob of post-it notes, a can of Sprite, write a line, but I can't cope. My dal is overheating. Heavy drops roll down the can and nothing gels. Two o'clock. This journal perfectly sums up my views. Use their words or sweat till dawn to find my own. A growly dinner time rumbles my head. A paragraph is born. Three o'clock. 
This word count is a plaster cast. At last, I find some tricks to trim it down, put points in quotes, edit names to acronyms. Four o'clock. The mark machine decides my fate. Elated selfies or a trip to welfare? Why make a fish climb up a tree to gasp on air? Hot air, dead air. And I think that's one of the most famous sort of things. Why make a fish climb up a tree? You know, it's that's what I often feel with students in particularly higher education, you know, having to do the thing, you know, like referencing what what a fiddly, dyslexia-unfriendly thing references referencing is, you know, it should be banned at birth. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to end the four with um, another upbeat one because, the, the, as I said, the last latter, latter part of the book is about people succeeding through other languages. And <clears throat> again, it's a bit autobiographical because my son, he found his passion in table tennis. And we used to go to the Castlefield Gallery in Manchester. And that's where he discovered his particular talent, which is reflex actions, which doesn't require any processing of thought. So it's called talking back and it's in two parts number one the science gallery stirred up the screeching moon kids of rosy mums and stubble dads and sunday jeans half watching weights and water wheels he fixed his eyes on one exhibit the same one every visit that tested reflex movements. When the red button flash, when the red light flashes, hit the bottom. Ice cream failed to lure him from beating milliseconds. This lad, labeled slow, whacked the winking ball with his palm, and life began. Palm, bat, light, ball, and bounce. Part two. Let it rain, who cares, he laughed. He hated bikes and swimming baths. The muddy park had made it clear he never would be signed by city. Two bent bats and a dented ball, a slouching net across a gate-leg table that opened up its pummeled wings to fill our tiny lounge. Sulky serves soon faded, the ball now spun, in its loom of air that wove his hand to its arc, his heart to its tapping pulse, his brain to the curve of its skull. Tock, 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 tick. And it is a great sport. I love table tennis because it's such an inclusive sport. Um, yeah, it's great for me. I used to do that when I was at school myself. And yeah, absolutely. The amount, the amount of times I used to splash the balls. By sending him everywhere they shouldn't have gone, often bouncing off the table correctly, but I couldn't guarantee where they go after the first bounce. <laughs> yeah, and it's such fun. a it's it, in lots of ways. People in wheelchairs play it. People of all ages play it, and it's throughout the world. They've they've got a table tennis 
table in every country because it's a, cheap, a relatively cheap sport to play as well. So it's uh, become his passion, really. So good. good. No, I think I think you need. I think you, if it helps you overcome any problems like that, you need to know that it gives you a focus. And I, I agree with you completely with that one, Helen. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's been a pleasure today, Helen. Hopefully, it won't be another three years before we speak again. Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, and thank yeah. you because um, yeah, no, it's it's the book has taken a long time, and it feels very. Uh, it is a really emotional book for me to do, you know, and I think that's really important. Yeah, I think obviously we've done, we've done over, over, over flog it or oversell it, if you know what I mean. But I think it's where I know myself, though, from what you've gone through, it's been a life to a life's work for you, this book. And hopefully, your follow up book won't, won't prove as difficult, basically. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. I mean, I think that's it. You don't, each book is, when you write poetry, every book, is, every direction's got to be different, hasn't it? You don't just do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you completely. So that's why I said, and I said, everybody, check it out. Love, I love this collection. It's one of my favourites this year, last year, definitely. So, well, hang around, Helen. I do need to speak to you post podcast. So, been a pleasure today. So, as always, thank you again, my friend. Thank you very much. Take care, guys and girls. As Don Callis at Impact Wrestling says, stay safe and stay over. And we'll see you next time. Spoken, mate. <laughs>